All Things Unexplained, hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Previously on All Things Unexplained. That's why I think if we want to know if we have neighbors in outer space, if we are not the smartest kid in our cosmic neighborhood, we should simply look up. I mean, what could be more common sense than that? And yet, a lot of my colleagues say, well, everything in the sky is rocks. Everything is natural. There is nothing to look for. Uh, and forget about it. And let's work on, on things like dark matter that you know we've been working for a century on. We haven't found it yet. We invested $10 billion in it, in the search for it. Uh, and my point is, you know, most of the public really cares about searching for extraterrestrial intelligence. And, um, you know, two thirds of Americans believe that extraterrestrials exist. That's more than the number of people, of Americans that believe in God, that God exists, uh, which is slightly less than 50% of Americans. So I say, you know, if most taxpayers care about it, it's actually a waste of taxpayers' money not to invest in the study of the, this subject. And, um, you know, it takes me a lot of effort to convince my colleagues. One quote, Avi, that you had in your book, and by the way, CJ read the hard copy. I listened to your audio book, and, which was really fascinating because it, 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 it wasn't you reading it, but it made me think that I was listening to you. So it was very, it was a very great experience for me. But you quoted T.S. Eliot in saying this is, he had a famous quote, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. And it seems like Oumuamua was, the, you know, hit the media as maybe this is a whimper of extraterrestrial evidence. Well, you have to think about what we did so far, because that's the best we can imagine. Uh, we sent five probes to interstellar space, okay? And uh, they were Voyager 1, Voyager 2, Pioneer 10, Pioneer 11, and New Horizons. They will exit the solar system. It will take them tens of thousands of years to do so. But eventually they will, and that's a very short time compared to the age of the Milky Way galaxy, which is uh, 10 billion years. Um, so the point is, uh, the sun is a relative late bloomer, you know, and uh, most stars formed 10 billion years ago. The sun formed 4.6 billion years ago. So, uh, you know, it's quite likely that if the technological clock started ticking on near other stars uh, earlier, a few billion years before ours, then um, they sent probes that by now, you know, could have reached us because with chemical propulsion, you can traverse the Milky Way galaxy in half a billion years. So plenty of time left for those probes to 
go across the entire Milky Way galaxy. Now, all of the probes that we sent will be completely dysfunctional in, in a billion years. You know, they, they will not work anymore and there will be space trash. And uh, if they pass through another uh, planetary system like the solar system, you know, uh, they would look unusual. Uh, many astronomers there will, will argue that they must be rocks of a type that we've never seen before. Uh, and maybe one astronomer will say, well, maybe it's artificial in origin <laughs> and everyone will put back on that. But um, <laughs> the, point is, the point is that um, that's uh, sort of what we did so far. Now, in the future, it's quite likely that we will uh, use artificial intelligence um, in a spacecraft that we send out because um, that will provide some intelligence to those uh, uh, probes. I mean, the best we did so far was send a, ro uh, a robot uh, called the Perseverance rover to Mars, but uh, that's not really an autonomous system. It still waits for guidance from the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena. So in the more distant future, let's say a decade from now, we'll start sending equipment that, that is intelligent. It may even be sentient by that time, you know, in a decade, because we will have sentient AI systems. And um, if you think about other civilizations that may have done that billions of years ago, you know, that we can find another type of uh, in instruments near us, uh, probes that came from far away that are also intelligent, that are functional and um, that were designed so that they will survive the journey across interstellar space. And um, the question is not philosophical as to whether they are near us. Uh, it's a simple matter for us to check and we should not have any prejudice. And so Oumuamua was the first interstellar object reported in 2017 uh, by a telescope in Hawaii and everyone expected it to be a rock but it didn't look like a rock uh, that is familiar to us. It didn't look like an asteroid because it was it had a very extreme shape, most likely flat, uh, and the amount of sunlight reflected from it changed by a factor of 10 as it was tumbling. And also it uh, was pushed away from uh, the sun by some mysterious force without showing a cometary tail. So it was clearly not a comet uh, of the type that we are familiar with, like an icy rock that evaporates close to the sun. So um, the question is what propelled this object? And I suggested it's very thin, so it's being pushed by reflecting sunlight. Uh, and then a couple of years later, together with uh, my student, we discovered um, that uh, in fact, uh, there is a catalog of meteors that the government compiled. And uh, the first interstellar object was actually discovered in 2014, about four years before Oumuamua. And uh, of course, my colleagues pushed back on that as well. Uh, with respect to Oumuamua, they said, well, it must be natural, but it's a rock of a type that we've never seen before, like a hydrogen iceberg, a nitrogen iceberg, or a dust bunny, you know, all kinds <laughs> of suggestions. These were the, the explanations. Uh, all of them have challenges, but my point is, if it's something we've never seen before, then, you know, maybe it's artificial. And I can give you an anecdote that one of my colleagues uh, wrote a review paper about Oumuamua, you know, in a very prestigious astronomy journal uh, just a, a couple of months ago. This is supposed to give a, a comprehensive summary of what we know about Oumuamua. And he sent me an email saying, uh, we just finished writing this review about the comet Oumuamua. And I said, what do you mean by the comet Oumuamua? It, it, it was clearly not the comet. We didn't see a cometary tail. 
It's just like going to the zoo and looking at an elephant and calling it a zebra. <laughs> why would you, in, in, in an authoritative review on, on Muamua, why would you call it a comet? And he said, well, I have a theory that it actually behaved like a comet when we didn't look at it. So when we looked at it, there was no cometary tail, but when we didn't look at it, it had a cometary tail. Just like, th so I said, well, that's like looking at an elephant and saying, when we look away from the elephant, it has stripes. <laughs> but that makes very little sense. And this person is supposed to represent the mainstream, you know, the most honest summary of the literature on Oumuamua. And it just shows you that uh, even the so-called experts prefer to, um, you know, call it a comet just to feel cozy with it uh, so that it's familiar. If you call it a comet, then it sounds as if we understand it. But the truth is, it was definitely not a comet when we looked at it and we looked very deeply with the Spitzer Space Telescope. Now, these meteor, the meteor that I mentioned from 2014, our paper was not, a, uh, was rejected from publication. And the argument was, it was detected by US government sensors and we don't believe the US government. We don't think the government has a good enough precision in their measurements. And I thought to myself, you know, the government needs to know whether a ballistic missile will hit Boston or New York City. So that makes little sense. And then I approached some people in government and three years later, uh, actually in March 2022, uh, we, there was a letter sent by the Department of Defense who came to our defense, basically, wow. to my defense. Uh, and uh, the U.S. Space Command uh, basically stating that this object, this meteor, uh, indeed at a 99.999% confidence came from outside the solar system. So at that point, we decided to plan an expedition uh, to search uh, for the fragments of this meteor from its explosion so that we can tell its composition because the government also released the uh, fireball light curve, the light curve from the explosion, and based on the details that they released, we were able to uh, infer that it was tougher than iron. It was actually tougher than all 272 other space rocks that the government uh, discovered as meteors. So clearly it was an outlier. And then we found another meteor in, uh, from interstellar space in the same catalog. Again, very tough, tougher than iron. So the first three interstellar objects uh, appeared to be very different from all the space rocks we had seen before. And, and therefore, you know, either they originate in a system that is very different from the solar system, that they are natural in origin, or, you know, at least uh, some of them are artificial. And the only way to find out is by collecting evidence, not by people screaming on Twitter, uh, they must be natural. That's not the way to find out the truth, because if you were to ask, let's say, a thousand years ago, if Twitter existed and you were to ask people, what do you think about uh, the Earth? They would say, well, the Earth is at the center of the world and everything moves around it. And, and uh, they would just um, ridicule anyone saying otherwise. But it's not a matter of popular opinion. You know, it's reality is whatever it is. We know now that Mars doesn't move around the Earth, that the Sun doesn't move around the Earth because we have spacecraft that look at this, the system from a distance and we can tell. So the same is true about anything like Oumuamua, the nature of Oumuamua, you know, if it was a dust bunny, we would never be able to land on it. Okay, so if we send a space mission, we could figure out by coming close to the object and trying to land on it, whether it's a dust bunny 
in which case we'll just go through it, whether it's a, a nitrogen or hydrogen iceberg, or it has screws and bolts on it and it, it looks artificial. So I think we just need more evidence to, but, but it's, the situation is intriguing enough for us to collect that evidence. And, and you know, the, this is the first decade, that's the, the surprising thing. It's the first decade where we have instruments that can inform us about interstellar objects. And thanks to the government uh, satellites that they were launched a decade ago, and also thanks to telescopes like mm -hmm. Panstars in Hawaii that didn't exist more than a decade ago. So it's really the first decade where, when we can do the search. So, you know, when Enrico Fermi asked 70 years ago, where is everybody? You know, that was really uh, premature because you can't just expect them to sit next to you at, at lunch. You know, that uh, you need to look through your windows for your neighbors and you better use a telescope. Yes. I feel like we are proof, right? We exist here on this planet and we haven't made it to another planet yet. So how is that proof? I mean, to say that there's nobody else out there just because they haven't made it here yet, just because we haven't seen them, that doesn't seem like proof that they don't exist at all. I think we are proof. No, my, 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 point, my point is that there is this ostrich factor. If you don't search, you know, if you bury your head in the sand, obviously you will not find anything. Yeah. If you're not ready, to find wonderful things, you will never discover them. And so that's the first uh, barrier that we have to overcome, that a lot of people have opinions, prejudice, just like they had about the earth being yeah. at the center of the world. Okay. But now we know, now we know that, um, you know, the earth is not really special, that in fact, somewhere between 3% and 100% of all the sun-like stars have a planet the size of the earth, roughly the same separation. So clearly, uh, you know, the, the dice of intelligence, was rolled billions of times just in the Milky Way galaxy. And most likely, if another star had a technological civilization like ours, it was billions of years ago. It's not exactly at the same time as we have our technology. So it's very likely that they advanced far beyond what we have right now, because we had just a century of technology development so far. And uh, if we see equipment in our neighborhood, it will represent a technological gap so we can learn it's an opportunity you know we can learn from them and moreover it will give us aspirations it it will say look at this you know what we've been doing all along history human history uh, was triggered by groups of people feeling superior relative to other people and it's really ridiculous given that there is a much more intelligent civilization out there and let's try to be a little <laughs> better you know, let's think about the big picture rather than trying to conquer a piece of land <laughs> and uh, threaten to use nuclear weapons. If you get that piece of land, you know, here on this two-dimensional surface of the Earth, which is, you know, it's just a rock left over from the right. formation of the sun. So let's think about the big picture. Perhaps we'll be less uh, preoccupied with ridiculous, uh, you know, ambitions um, that make no sense. Let's work together as the human species, you know. Uh, I just wrote a, a commentary uh, yesterday with the title yes. Earthlings Unite. You know, that might, that's my message. Let's all come together because, you know, the, all the fights throughout history are wasting our money, are wasting our effort, wasting energy. If we work together, we can build a much better future. That's a great point. And Avi, I, I had a thought 
just this morning, you you were just talking about, you know, your search for interstellar objects, perhaps in the ocean, and you mentioned the Fermi paradox, where Fermi said, you know, if there's all these alien civilizations, where where are they? Why are we not hearing from them? But you also mentioned in your book, Interstellar, about Hansen's response to that, called the Great Filter, this notion that. You know, perhaps when alien civilizations, including our own civilization, reach the ability to communicate with the stars, they also reach the ability to destroy themselves. And I had this thought that, you know, CJ and I actually live in North Carolina, and there are portions of our beach here on the coastline that have unexploded ordnance off the coastline. Are you, and, and I've heard other figures talk about, well, you know, if we were to discover UFOs, it would be, they would be actually really afraid to tinker with it because it would be sort of like sending a nuclear bomb back to the caveman. Yeah, they could tinker with it, but they would probably all kill themselves, right? Are you worried about what you might find in the ocean? No, I'm not worried at all. Um, you see, because our technological development uh, was just started about a hundred years ago. If you think about it, quantum mechanics was discovered just a century ago. And all of the gadgets that we have, like computers, uh, cell phones and so forth, are based on our understanding of quantum mechanics. Okay, so it's just one century out of the age of the Earth, which is 4.6 billion years. You know, it's one part in almost 100 million and so it's a very short phase relative to the history, the entire life lifespan of the Earth. And the chance of them being exactly at our technological um, phase is really small. Uh, you know, it's most likely that they are far more advanced. I mean, of course, there are also primitive civilizations out there that represent our past. Uh, you know, the human species started a few million years ago. And But to find those, the primitive ones, we have to board a spaceship, get to their planet and land on it and start searching through the trees for those primitive ones. And, you know, that's a, a lot of work. Uh, so it, it makes much more sense to wait, wait uh, uh, for those that are much more advanced uh, than us to, to reach us rather than go there. And uh, it's quite uh, likely that if we find any gadget, uh, that it would represent uh, our future, that it, it would represent technological advances that we cannot imagine, that would look magic, magical to us. And for the reason that, uh, you know, if you have an ant colony on, on the sidewalk, you know, and a biker passes by, for the same reason that, you know, it doesn't really matter what the ants are doing, the biker is not really... Uh, communicating with the ants. Maybe the biker might be curious and look down at them, but it's not as if there is an existential threat to the biker from the ants. So I think because we are likely to find something far more advanced than we are, we shouldn't be worried that uh, anything we do will threaten that uh, device or, or, or whatever it is, uh, because um, you know, it doesn't see us as equals, okay? And the best we can hope is to learn from it. So I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, you know, there are people like uh, Stephen Hawking that were very um, worried about us trying to reach out and, and signal our existence. I'm mm -hmm. not worried about that. And there is a good reason for that because I think those civilizations that are mil 
militant and aggressive, you know. Just look um, uh, on earth, you know, those uh, cultures that were very uh, brutal and aggressive and uh, got into wars, they were eventually eliminated because uh, eventually you, you fight a war in which you lose. Uh, I mean, if you try it many times, eventually there will be a war in which you lose. And um, uh, therefore, you know, you can imagine um, uh, natural selection in interstellar space, which on Earth is basically survival of the fittest. That's natural selection. So right. in interstellar space, longevity, you know, surviving for a long time would be of those civilizations that are not only smart, but are smart enough to avoid conflicts. Because if you get into conflicts, eventually one of these conflicts will kill you. And so my guess is that we would meet a peaceful uh, um, culture, more, more likely than a, a militant one, uh, because the militant ones do not survive very long. And uh, that's my advice to Putin. Uh, stop. <laughs> Uh, uh, because otherwise you would not exist for very long. So, um, um, yeah, so I, I think overall, I'm not afraid at all. Uh, I did get a, a, an email one day uh, from someone who's, who heard about the expedition to Papua New Guinea and, and said, that if you find any device, please do not press any button. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I said, don't worry about it. Uh, if I find a device, I already promised the curator of the Museum of Modern Art in uh, New York City to bring it there for display because it would, represent, <laughs> it would represent modernity for us, even though it's ancient history for the senders. So have you begun to search the ocean floor yet? Not yet. Um, a, a couple of months ago, I, I got funded for the expedition at one and a half million dollars. Uh, I should say, by the way, that um, there is a lot of enthusiasm for this subject um, in the general public. Um, a lot of hostility within academia for some strange reason, and we can talk about it more. But uh, in, in, in the general public, uh, you know, when I announced uh, the expedition, uh, it took only a couple of months before a person came forward and said, you have the money. Uh, and <laughs> I didn't do much fundraising. And uh, so we have the money. We have a very um, a good team. I mean, we have exception, the best people in ocean expeditions in the world that are involved. And uh, we will go there in about five months. Uh, we just have to develop the machinery and we identify the boat already. And I'm happy to sleep on the boat and uh, for, for two weeks uh, during that time. The hope is that we will we'll be able to scoop uh, those fragments and we will not come back uh, empty handed. Um, I should say that, um, you know, uh, there were people saying, why go there? You know, my point is, we know that the material was tougher than iron. So whatever we find, even if it's natural, would be of great interest uh, because we will uncover a new source of, of um, interstellar objects that probably is not the same as the solar system uh, because the material strength is so unusual. Uh, but it could also be a stainless steel, an alloy that was artificial, in which case we will know that this object may have been a spacecraft uh, rather than a rock. Um, and so that's what we, we are hoping to find, but we, we will see. I mean, it's a fishing expedition, so whatever we find, we will report. <laughs> It sounds fun. I, I want to go. I mean, so you definitely have the attention of some people who have both curiosity and 
finances because you have now been privately funded for several things by people that just have interests. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and um, uh, basically all my funding over the past decade came from the private sector. Um, and um, because um, uh, funding agencies that are based on committees, you know, these are the federal funding agencies, these committees are often populated by mainstream scientists who say we should not take risks because we don't want to waste taxpayers money now what happens as a result is you know scientists explore for example a mainstream subject like the nature of dark matter we don't know what most of the matter in the universe is and we haven't found it yet but my point is that's that has little relevance for the daily lives of most taxpayers uh, if we find the dark matter is the lightest supersymmetric particle or, or small black holes, you know, it won't really affect our daily life much. But uh, the question about extraterrestrial life and whether we are alone or not is of great interest to the taxpayers. And for some reason, you know, this principle of abiding by the interests of the taxpayers and not wasting their money should have uh, led to those committees allocating big sums of money to addressing this question and that's what i find to be out of balance and i'm trying to correct but it's not easy now there was actually a study of astronomers in the uk and it found that um you know 90 percent of them said that they were uh interested in science fiction and uh about two-thirds of them said that they, um, it inspired them to get into astronomy that's the there is uh, the existence of extraterrestrial life science fiction inspired them to enter astronomy now you ask yourself okay given that statistics it means that they should be sympathetic to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence no they're hostile to it why is that uh and one possibility is just like polarization in politics um, you see the ex the extremes uh on both sides and they basically fuel each other so on the side of unidentified aerial phenomena, you have people that are believers, experiencers, people claiming that they were abducted, all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? And uh, very often it's based on belief or on someone being in the bedroom at a young age of seven and seeing some lights. And I say, you know, this is not really evidence. The fact that you, as a, as a kid, seven-year-old kid, you noticed some lights in your bedroom, it could have been an illusion i mean most likely and you were not a scientist you didn't use any instruments so why should we be convinced by that but anyway there are these believers advocates that are not basing their statements on any rigorous scientific thinking or evidence and they are sort of like the extreme of the other side that the scientists feel very uncomfortable and you know siding with and they say we don't want anything to do with these people. Therefore, we don't want to even mention the subject of extraterrestrial intelligence. We don't want to fund it. We don't want anything to do with it, which is pretty much the psychology, even though they are intrigued by the question. So I say, you know, just like in politics, the middle ground makes most common sense. And in the case of science, is collecting evidence, trying to make progress in our knowledge rather than be intimidated by the extremes. You know, we, I don't care if there are crazy people saying nonsense, that's irrelevant. Let's just collect evidence and figure out the truth. Yes, definitely a stigma that has been placed on UFOs in the past. Right. 
we're speaking with astrophysicist Avi Loeb. Avi, in your book, Extraterrestrial, which is a fantastic book, just find it on Amazon, buy it. It's, it's really unbelievable. You proposed a new branch of science, which you called astroarchaeology. Well, I wonder if the history books in our future, much like the Vikings, Magellan, Columbus, you know, are, are our future history books going to have Avi Loeb? You know, going down it, it, it. Are we looking at the first great expeditions of astroarchaeology? Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying um, to promote. Uh, to, to you know, we've been searching for radio signals in the past, um, which is, uh, I mean, like um, waiting for a phone call. That's a method uh, pioneered by Frank Drake, who passed away just a couple of months ago, and. Uh, Unfortunately, it may not be the best way to find extraterrestrial intelligence because they may not be around anymore. You know, they died by now. The sun will basically boil off all the oceans on Earth within a billion years. So if most stars from five billion years before the sun, they boiled off uh, all all oceans on their habitable planets by now. And um, there is no intelligent life on those planets anymore. So my point is, uh, you know, we should be... Um, instead of searching for a phone call, waiting for a phone call, we should be searching our mailbox for any packages that were delivered, accumulated over time. And that's a very different method. Going out to the backyard and looking in in your mailbox, whether you have any packages, is a very different method than sitting at home and waiting for a phone call. We haven't practiced that. And only over the past decade, we had the instruments to detect the first interstellar objects. And it's may, it may well be that Oumuamua was a letter, a love letter that has a message for our salvation and we missed we missed <laughs> it. And that's a bit uh, tragic. So we should keep looking. Uh, so I call it archaeology because it, it may represent relics from civilizations that are not around anymore. But the thing about chemical rockets, for example, is that the terminal speed is 10 times smaller than um, uh, the escape speed from the Milky Way galaxy. So... So anything propelled by chemical uh, rockets would not be able to escape the gravity of the Milky Way. Radio signals move at the speed of light. So if they were sent a billion years ago, they are now a billion light years away, you know, sort of at at the edge of the universe, and uh, we will never see them. Uh, However, all the probes that were sent over the past uh, billions of years, they are still bound by gravity to the Milky Way, so we can find them. And uh, that is something we haven't tried. And, you know, it's not really about me. I'm just trying to use my common sense since I was born on a farm and I'm pretty much, uh, you know, I I think in a simple way, um, it sounds to me like searching for physical objects may be a better way than searching for radio signals. Now, what I don't understand is the hostility against this. Uh, And it may well be that it's uh, fueled by false claims of advocates but to me that's the wrong reason to discredit it and i know that the seti community for example banned any discussion in their conferences on unidentified area phenomena so there is no yeah they banned it a year ago and uh, i find that strange because the seti community is supposed to be the closest in advocating for the search and yet they want to show the rest of the community of astronomers look we are banning this fringe part of SETI 
in order to appease you so that you will give us a little bit of funding. Uh, and I say, we should not apologize for anything. You know, searching for objects has, you know, has the same merit as searching for dark matter because we already know about some interstellar objects that appeared very weird. The U.S. government is talking about objects they do not identify. Uh, the head of the new office in, in government that was established by Congress uh, a year ago, and, and th this office has been operating and delivered the, a report to Congress just recently. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, he visited my home a, a month ago. and Really? You know, um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had a conversation. Of course, I'm not... Um, interested in any classified information and probably the most juicy information is classified to be continued you've been listening to all things unexplained if you liked this podcast please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review if you would like to hear more all things unexplained be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts our show depends on the support of listeners like you. Find us on Venmo under the business accounts at Bigfoot UFO. If you can't get enough of us, please check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.